In the latest evidence, the media have lost their minds over the election of President Trump. Outlets all over the country went nuts over Trump's senior advisor, Kellyanne Conway, putting her feet on a couch in the Oval Office while taking a photo of Trump with top officers at historically black colleges. This is what the picture looked like. Here's BuzzFeed's deputy news director. Shoes on the couch in the Oval Office. Here is certified nut job, Keith Olbermann. Get your effing feet off the furniture, Kellyanne Pulse. This isn't your home. Here is a digital organizer for Hillary Clinton. Conway with her shoes on the couch in Oval Office, consistent with general level of disrespect Trump team has shown. Here are some of the headlines. USA Today, Kellyanne Conway puts feet on Oval Office couch. Twitter freaks. New York Daily News, Kellyanne Conway photographed making herself comfortable on Oval Office couch. Twitter calls out Trump advisor for disrespect. Us Weekly, Kellyanne Conway kneels on Oval Office couch. Twitter freaks out. New York Post, Kellyanne Conway kneels on Oval Office couch. Sparks debate. The Telegraph from the UK shows some class. Kellyanne Conway accused of lacking respect after putting feet up on Oval Office couch. Oh, no! The horror! Kellyanne Conway put her feet on the couch like a human. Even the Washington Post, Chris Chaliza, got this one right. He said, quote, This tempest in a teapot is, in a word, dumb. In two words, incredibly dumb. Of course, Chaliza then goes on to get one thing wrong. He equates Conway's conduct with that of President Clinton in the Oval Office, which neglects a few facts. First, Kellyanne Conway is not the president. Second, Bill Clinton's intern performed oral sex on him in the Oval Office. Kellyanne Conway kneeling on a couch isn't quite the same thing as Monica Lewinsky kneeling under the desk or having sex on top of the Oval Office desk with Clinton, as Secret Service members reported. As for the generalized outrage over feet on the furniture in the Oval Office, President Obama routinely put his desk, his feet on the Resolute desk, a gift from Queen Victoria to President Rutherford B. Hayes in 1890, but so did George W. Bush and Gerald Ford. In other words, everybody needs to calm down. If the biggest problem the media have with Kellyanne Conway is where she puts her feet in the Oval Office, they are just awful at their jobs. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So, lots coming up. We're going to talk about Donald Trump's address to Congress that's happening tonight. He's proposed his new budget. We'll go through that and talk about what's good and what's bad. And it will also talk about whether the Democrats are smart to hitch their entire political future to bashing Donald Trump, whether that's a winning strategy or a losing strategy. There are arguments both ways. But first, we have to say thank you to our friends over at Zip Recruiter. Zip Recruiter is one of our advertisers. If you are an employer and you are looking to get the best applicants for a job, you need to go to ZipRecruiter.com. There, you can post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, with a single click. So instead of having to go to a ton of sites and then post your job there, you can go instead to Zip Recruiter. It'll do all of it for you. You can find candidates in any city, in any industry nationwide. Just post once, and you watch those qualified candidates roll into your ZipRecruiter easy-to-use interface. You can dismiss resumes you don't like. You can accept the ones you do. You don't have to juggle emails or calls to your office. You screen the candidates, you rate them, and hire the right person fast using ZipRecruiter.com. It's been used by Fortune 100 companies, and there's a reason for that. Right now, my listeners can use ZipRecruiter to post jobs for free. You go to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. It is a great service. It's something that we've started to use, and we're going to start using over here at Daily Wire. And, uh, and I recommend that you use it for your business, too. It is cheap. It is easy. Right now, if you use ZipRecruiter.com and you put in Daily Wire, you get it for free, and you can try it for free and see how it works for you. Again, post your job to 200-plus sites, including Facebook and Twitter, with a single click of a button. Save yourself tons of time, and it's an easy-to-use interface, so it makes sure that you can get the employees that you need. Okay, so we begin today with the media. The media 
obviously are overreaching right now. And the biggest advantage that Donald Trump has in the political debate is clearly the insanity of the media, because he goes out there and he bashes the media, and everybody who is on the right side of the aisle implicitly loves this. We all love this, because the media have it coming for 20 years, 20 long years, 30 years. I mean, going all the way back to Ronald Reagan, going back to Nixon, the media have been far to the left, and they have unfairly targeted Republicans. Like, some targeting is fair, some is not, but the fact that Trump is striking back at the media, it works well for him. It works particularly well for him when the media continue to overreach and make themselves look insane. The left and the media have decided the only way the left is going to regain power is simply by attacking Trump, attacking Trump, attacking Trump. Now, I think what's in their mind is they think that they're going to do to Trump what they did to George W. Bush. They think that if they can just polarize Bush enough to get Nancy Pelosi and Obama in, they can polarize Trump enough to get Cory Booker or Elizabeth Warren in in four years. But this neglects a couple of facts. First, George W. Bush actually had to do some pretty bad things as president in order to lose his approval rating and watch it plummet. Presidents who have over a 40% approval rating have a legit shot at re-election. If you're below 40%, basically you're toast. Trump right now is anywhere from 44 to 50% according to Rasmussen, a little bit above 50% in terms of approval rating. If he sticks in that range, he'll have a legit shot at re-election. And in order for a president to really drop below that range, he has to do something really bad. And usually that means some sort of economic recession or a war that is prosecuted poorly. Right? With George H.W. Bush, George H.W. Bush was riding really high. He was in like the 80s after the Gulf War. And then there was an economic recession. He plummeted down into the 30s. George W. was in the 50s for the vast majority of his first term. After 9-11, he was in the 90s. After the Iraq War, he was in the 60s. He basically spent most of his first term hovering around 55, 56%. And then it was only after his reelection, when the Iraq war really started to go south before the surge, that his approval ratings dumped and tanked for the last time. And then there was a recession. So he had the double whammy and he ended up in the 20s. Right now, Trump isn't involved in any long-standing war. You know, Afghanistan is still going on, but that's really not considered his war. He hasn't started a war that's going badly, and the economy is doing pretty well. So long as those two things hold true, attacking Trump isn't going to do a lot for the media, but that's not stopping them. They think that if they just attack Trump, attack Trump, that will alleviate their responsibility to not suck at their jobs. And if the left keeps attacking Trump, they won't have to run Democrats who aren't insane. So this is what you see from the media. So Mika Brzezinski over at MSNBC, she says that Trump is clearly trying to create a dictatorship. Again, over the top. Spicer defended the decision to limit the press. I think that we have shown an abundance of accessibility. We brought more reporters into this process, and the idea that every time that every single person can't get their question answered or fit in a room, they're excluding people. We've actually gone above and beyond with making ourselves, our team, and our briefing room more accessible than probably any prior administration. So I, I think you can take that to the bank. So there's a different Spicer uh, that we have for you. Back in December, um, here he is. We have a respect for the press um, when it comes to the government, that that is something that you can't ban an entity from, um, you know, conservative, liberal or otherwise. I think that's what makes a democracy a democracy versus a dictatorship. <laughs> Just let that marinate. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so is that where we're at? Anybody want to participate? I mean, I is he just described himself. Seventy days may be a long time in his mind. That was seventy days ago. <laughs> <laughs> so are, we, are they trying to create a dictatorship? I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not joking, and I'm not angry. 
Okay, I'm not joking, I'm not angry. Are they trying to create a dictatorship? If they are, this is the worst dictatorship ever. Okay, honestly, like, I think people are right to be afraid of authoritarian presidents, but so far, everybody seems pretty able to criticize him. And dictatorships usually don't have Mika Brzezinski on there talking about how dictatorship is being created as a typical matter, and Brzezinski hasn't been banned from the air. But again, the media have to overreach because they think that if they destroy Trump, then they are going to destroy the Republican Party. What they figure is that the Republican Party has seen a major upswing since 2010, thanks in large part to Barack Obama. They're dominant across the country in localities and states. They're dominant in the federal government. But now they've tethered their wagon to Donald Trump. So if they burn Donald Trump down, the wagon will burn too. So they're going to focus all their fire on Donald Trump. Chris Matthews doing the same thing. He says, I don't understand. Why would, I, why would anybody believe Trump after years of... Because Matt, you say, say, get up, come here to the show, come in here, I'll wrinkle, don't even know what I'm doing, and then I just talk, I say things, and people watch it sometimes, but it's MSNBC, so not too many people. Kathleen, what do you think? Go. News, early evening news analysis and opinion. He doesn't go after lefties. He doesn't go after center lefties. He goes after people producing news on the front page, hardworking enterprise reporting. That's who he's going after. Have you noticed? No, that's certainly the case here. But you know, to your, to your, to your point, it's sort of an element here of you know he's looking, looking, at, looking for an enemy. This is somebody who spent his entire career in negotiations. You can't have a negotiation with one party. I mean, you can't have a superhero without a villain. There's an element of like. Why would anybody believe Trump? Would Trump spend years? Saying that Barack Obama was an illegal alien. His supporters believe him. Why would and they believe when they know he was wrong about the big thing he ran on for five years? Why would they believe he's got some new truth coming out of him? Well, the irony is that he has said... Except they hate Obama so much, they love to have him, you know, trashed by saying he's that's right. snuck in the country. It's confirmation bias. That yeah. People believe what they want to believe. Okay, confirmation bias. Are you listening, lefties, who are watching Chris Matthews over on MSNBC? It's confirmation bias, you understand? That's why you have a bias, and everybody confirms the bias. Like, if I sit here and I say that Donald Trump is the worst thing that ever was, and people think it's news, maybe that's because they already thought he was the worst thing that ever was. That's confirmation bias, but it doesn't apply to me because I'm on the left. Also, I come out of the shoe, and I also like to eat soup with a strainer. I don't know why. In any any case, the media have decided they don't understand why it is that Trump has any credibility after all of this has happened. Here's the funny thing. There's a poll yesterday from Wall Street Journal, NBC News, and what it found is that 52% of Americans think the media have gone overboard on Trump. Because they have. Again, that Kellyanne Conway photo is a great example of this. The fact that the media have lost their mind over this photo of Kellyanne Conway with her feet on the couch. It's just absurd. It's just absurd. And it demonstrates how far they're willing to go. There is a strategy to it. Again, the strategy is if you can polarize about Trump, maybe you take down the entire Republican Party because you figure that Trump is the figurehead for the Republican Party. He's a really volatile figurehead. And maybe you can maybe he's the anchor that drags down the Republicans. It's not just the media, obviously. It's also the Democrats. So Nancy Pelosi is out there to the Botox lady, the Botox is now seeped into her neurological structures, and she says that it's time to impeach Trump. It's forty days in, it's time to impeach Trump. But the administration was making this strong case with the American people and perhaps misrepresenting the American people could be cause for impeachment. If so, there's plenty of grounds uh, right now uh, with the current president. But it just just isn't the case. That doesn't mean nobody's listening to cases that are being made in a very scientific, methodical way as to uh, whether there are are uh, grounds for impeachment. But the fact is, is that many of, we're trying to unite the country, and many of the president's supporters are just not ready to accept the fact that um, 
that their judgment might not have been so great in voting for him. Uh, and by the time the case is made, perhaps they'll be ready to accept that. Oh, yes, clearly Democrats are ready to unite the country around impeaching Trump. This is the same thing. Look, Nancy Pelosi only has one speed, and that speed is impeach Bush, impeach Trump. Wouldn't have mattered. Could have been Rubio. Could have been Romney. Would have been exactly the same case made by the Democrats. M- Maxine Waters, another one of these radical Democrats from California. She says that Trump obviously colluded with Russia to steal the election. By the way, this is the same lady who said the L.A. riots were an L.A. uprising. So when people were burning down storefronts owned by Koreans in, in South Central Los Angeles, that was an uprising, according to Maxine Waters. She also says that Trump colluded with Russia here. Just say that uh, my colleagues and the leadership um, would not like to hear me say the I word, but I say it over and over again, impeachment, 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 because... This president absolutely was in collusion with the Kremlin and Putin in Russia during the campaign. I believe that. And I believe that they undermined our democracy by interfering with our election. And I think that meets the criteria for impeachment. High crimes and misdemeanors. But in addition to that, The story that I'm trying to get out is the connection of uh, all of those around him with Russia and with uh, the Kremlin and the fact that they're going for the oil. That's why you hear a lot about lifting the sanctions. They're going for the oil. What is she even talking about? Is she an insane? Yeah, she's an insane person, actually. The answer is yes. She is a crazy person going for the oil. Oil prices are at the lowest they've been in 20 years. What is she saying? going for the oil. Whenever Maxine Waters appears on a show like this, I'm just waiting for Jerry Springer to pop out and say, we're going to take a paternity test here on this particular show, Maxine Waters. Uh, In any case, the the Democrats have decided that that Donald Trump is uh, is impeachable. And again, this is part of a broader strategy. Now, Chuck Schumer has a bit of a different strategy, and I'll get to Chuck Schumer's strategy in a little bit. But first, we have to say thank you to our advertisers over at Birch Gold. So if you are somebody who's looking at the economy and figuring to yourself, well, things are really good, but maybe they'll go south. Maybe I ought to diversify. If you're somebody who is looking at the at the global financial markets and saying there doesn't seem to be a tremendous amount of stability here, you ought to have a little bit of your money in precious metals. And if you want to put some of your money in precious metals, you need to talk to my friends over at Birch Gold Group. A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, a lot of five-star ratings. And uh, if you contact them now to request a free information kit on physical precious metals, you can do so at birchgold.com slash Ben, birchgold.com slash Ben. And they can teach you how to move your 401k or your IRA out of stocks and bonds and into precious metals, the, the material that has never been worth a great hedge against inflation, a great hedge against economic collapse. To get that no-cost, no-obligation kit, again, go to birchgold.com slash Ben. Ask all your questions and get all your answers. And then when you're ready to invest in precious metals, talk to my friends over at birchgold.com slash Ben. Now, here's the thing. The Democrats are turning Trump into the enemy. And this has been their strategy, not just with Trump or with Bush, but it's been going back for, for really the entirety of the time, pretty much the entire 20th century, the Democrats have made this case. The case they've made is that Democrats are fighting the enemy. And the enemy are these these evil Republicans who want to stand in the way of progress, and they're racist, sexist, bigot, homophobes, and they're people who don't, they don't agree with the, with the greatness of American government, and they're John Lithgow and Footloose, and they want to stop Kevin Bacon from dancing and all the rest of it. Right? This has always been the pitch. Republicans are the enemy. And Republicans, for most of the 20th century, made the case that the real enemy were the Soviets. Right, the communists, the international communists were the, were the greatest threat to American security. And most of the time, Americans looked at the Soviet Union and they said, right, 
That's a bigger threat than the Republicans. And that's why you end up with President Eisenhower and President Nixon and President Reagan, because Americans generally believed the Republicans when they said, your enemy is the, is the Russians, your enemy is the Soviets. They didn't believe Democrats as much when the Democrats said, your enemy is the Republicans. Then the Soviet Union falls. And basically, Republicans don't win presidential elections. Right? They, they win one, two popular presidential elections since the, one, since the fall of the Soviet Union. In the popular vote, they've won one popular presidential election in 2004, and that was a re-elect, right? Because Bush lost the popular vote in 2000, and Trump lost the popular vote in 2016. Basically, the case that Democrats have made is still the same case. Republicans are the enemies of the American people, and Republicans have sort of picked a variety of enemies. It's been, you know, the, it's been the radical Muslims, or it's been the Chinese, or it's been the Russians in the case of Mitt Romney. They pick enemies, and the American people go, well... Are they really so scary? Are they really so scary? So the only time that worked was in 2004 when the answer was yes, they really are that scary. Radical Islamic terrorism could actually kill Americans. Right? That was the only time that worked. A lot of elections take place under the rubric of whose enemies do you most want to fight? Whose enemies do you most want to fight? So do you most want to fight Republicans or do you most want to fight the Russians or the Chinese? Now, the thing about Trump right now, is that the Democrats are saying that the great enemy is Trump. Trump is the enemy, the same case they've always made. It's the Republicans and Trump, they're the enemy. Donald Trump has another series of enemies, and those enemies are pretty popular. People don't like those enemies very much. So, Donald Trump, for example, he really hates the press. It turns out Americans really don't like the press. Attacking the press is a good enemy for Donald Trump. Donald Trump has his own set of enemies, and they're pretty good. So here's Donald Trump saying yesterday he doesn't want to do the White House Correspondents' Dinner because, hey, the media is terrible. A lot of the stories are made up. I believe a lot of the stories are pure fiction. They just pull it out of air. Now, with all of that being said, I just thought it would be better if I didn't do the dinner. That doesn't mean I'm not going to do it next year, but I just thought it would be better if I didn't do this. Okay, so the media are are his enemies. The media are, you know, in in the public view, the media are not our friends, right? They are also our enemies in many ways, and this is why the media publicity, their, their sort of approval ratings are very low, actually much lower than President Trump's. Donald Trump says your enemies are the Democrats. The Democrats' approval ratings right now are far below those of President Trump. Trump says Barack Obama is the enemy. Americans' approval rating for Obamacare is really not very good. Here's Donald Trump saying that Obama is behind the recent protests against a lot of the things he's trying to do. We talk about um, President Obama. You said you personally get along with him. You guys were going at each other for three or four, maybe eight years. Um, It turns out his organization seems to be doing a lot of the organizing to some of the protests that a lot of these Republicans are seeing around the country and against you. Do you believe President Obama is behind it? And if he is, is that a violation of the the so-called unsaid president's code? No, I think he is behind it. I also think it's politics. That's the way it is. And look, I have a Never, Bush wasn't going after Clinton. Clinton wasn't going after uh, Bush. Well, you never know what's exactly happening behind the scenes. You know, you're probably right or possibly right, but you never know. No, I think that President Obama is behind it because his people are certainly behind it. And some of the leaks possibly come from that group. You know, some of the leaks, which are really very serious leaks because they're very bad in terms right. of national security. Too, right, the enemy of Obama is still out there. He, he yesterday he blamed Hollywood leftism for their flubs at the Oscars. He said, you know, you were wasting so much time bashing me, you forgot to actually hand out the right envelopes at the Oscars. Bashing Hollywood will actually they're they're a good enemy. They're an enemy that most Americans don't like. He doesn't like China, right? He doesn't like Mexico, right? These are these are enemies that most Americans are pretty much okay with. Americans are okay with Mexico, actually. Americans, uh, I think we have a 62% approval rating of Mexico, but on China, Americans aren't real fond of China. In other words, Trump has his own series of enemies. 
enemies. And by attacking those enemies, he makes himself more popular. If Democrats keep attacking Trump, there's no guarantee that makes them more popular or that it makes Trump any less popular because Trump is a known quantity. The electorate is already so polarized. In an area where the electorate's not polarized, attacking Bush works when Bush had a 40% approval rating from Democrats going in, and that goes down to zero. But what happens when Trump's at 45% and his approval rating among Democrats is three? There's no room to move. There's no way to actually move that crowd. So I'm not sure that the actual best strategy for Democrats is attacking Trump as easy a target as he seems to be. And that's one of the secret strengths of Donald Trump. Meanwhile, the paranoid style of politics that Trump engages in, the sort of everybody is my enemy routine, there's something to that in that if everybody is your enemy, there's very likely to be crossover with the American public on their enemies. Right? If you have lots of enemies, good shot that you and Donald Trump have some enemies in common, whether you're on the right or the left. If you're on the left, then you also believe that the globalists, right, the globalists are in charge of the world economy. Some of your enemies are Donald Trump's enemies. If you're on the right, Donald Trump attacking the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy is your enemy. So Donald Trump, by having tons of enemies, it looks like a paranoid style of politics, but it's actually kind of smart. So we'll talk more about that. I also want to talk about Donald Trump on policy because we're going to get his joint address to Congress tonight. But for that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. Dailywire.com, 8 bucks a month, will ensure that you are able to see the rest of this show. You can be part of the mailbag uh, on Thursdays. You're also going to get the, the Shapiro store, I promise, is opening soon. Uh, so we'll be getting that out. We're also giving away free copies of The Arroyo, the, D, the fictional movie about what's going on on our southern border, rancher taking on the drug cartels who are smuggling Ill- illegal immigrants across American land. You can get that for free over at dailywire.com. When you become an annual subscriber, so eight bucks a month, or become an annual subscriber. If you just want to listen to the rest of the show later, then go over to iTunes or SoundCloud and you can check it out later. We are the number one conservative podcast in America. Okay, so what would be a better strategy for Democrats? I think Chuck Schumer actually has a smarter strategy, which is not good for Republicans because Chuck Schumer is actually a high-ranking Democrat. Here's Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, Senate Minority Leader, and he talks about how The problem with Trump is that Trump actually isn't doing anything. Here's what he has to say. And on the big promises that could help working America, infrastructure, trade, even on the ACA, the Trump administration has not even presented a proposal to Congress. Folks close to the president say he's going to be a president of great impact. Thus far, he's demonstrated himself to be a president of little impact. And all too often, the little he's done seems to be a broken promise to working people. Okay, so it's a little early for Chuck Schumer to say this. What's smart about what Schumer is saying is that there's likely to be some pretty significant conflict between the Republican Congress and Donald Trump. It hasn't manifested so far because it's been 40 days, and the Congress has basically done nothing. The Congress has decided to take a backseat to Trump. But there are a couple indicators that some conflict is in the future— which means that either Trump is going to have to move, and he doesn't have a record of that, or Paul Ryan is going to have to move, and it's unclear whether he's going to do that. So yesterday, Paul Ryan was talking about Trump, and he said, quote, I see him as more of a chairman, as a president, much like many successful presidents have been, where he gets people around him who are detailed people who can execute those plans. This is Paul Ryan wishcasting. It's Paul Ryan wishcasting. It's Paul Ryan saying, what I really hope Donald Trump is, is I hope he's the sultan from Aladdin. And he sits around building little towers of little animals. You remember this? And then he lets Jafar or Aladdin take care of the actual policy of the kingdom. Right? He's just sort of a figurehead. And then in the background, Steve Bannon or Steve Miller or Paul Ryan, they're the ones who are actually making the policy. This is not real. Okay, Donald Trump actually has some policy preferences of his own. His business is micromanaged. There's no reason to think his White House is not also micromanaged. The chaos is managed by Donald Trump. 
It is chaos, but it is also managed by Donald Trump, and it's part of his broader strategy. So Ryan has two choices. One is he can pass a bunch of legislation in the House, work with Mitch McConnell in the Senate to pass it, and then force Trump's feet to the fire to sign conservative legislation, or he can wait for Trump to lead. If he waits around for Trump to lead, he's not going to get a lot of what he wants. If he passes a bunch of legislation that pisses off Trump, Trump may well veto it. So this is the part of the Trump of the Trump administration that we haven't seen yet. He can do a lot of stuff with the pen and the phone. He can use the executive order. But what happens when it comes time for the pedal to hit the metal? You saw Chuck Schumer list off, reel off a bunch of priorities Trump has that he hasn't done anything about. Repeal and replace. Right now, it is very unclear that we're going to get full repeal of Obamacare or replacement with anything that is not Obamacare light. Very, very unclear. The plan put forward by the House maintains a bunch of the problems with Obamacare, including tax subsidies for various people. And it basically is a, a better form of Obamacare, but it's still Obamacare light. That's a problem. Is Trump going to be able to pass that, especially having said that he believes that insurance companies should cover pre-existing conditions and that nobody should lose their health insurance and that people shouldn't be dying in the streets and such? Is there a way that the Republicans are going to bridge that gap? That's an open question. Are they going to bridge the gap on taxes? Right now, Donald Trump wants tariffs. Does Paul Ryan want tariffs? Unclear. Actually, not unclear. Paul Ryan doesn't want tariffs. They're talking about a border adjustment tax is what they call it. Not quite the same thing as a tariff. But Trump apparently isn't that fond of it because he doesn't really understand it. Seriously, this is what he says. He doesn't get it. It's too complicated. So what happens when there's conflict there? What happens when there's conflict over this massive $1 trillion infrastructure boondoggle Trump wants to push as his big project? What happens when the the Republican Congress says, no way, Jose, we're not going to do that. Not interested. That should be states and localities. Now, yesterday, for example, Donald Trump was talking about policy, and, uh, and he said that we spent trillions in the Middle East, and instead we need to be spending trillions on infrastructure. We never win, and we don't fight to win. We don't fight to win. So we either got to win or don't fight it at all. But where we are, 17 years, almost 17 years of fighting in the Middle East, we're up, I saw a chart the other day, as of about a month ago, $6 trillion dollars. We've spent in the Middle East six trillion dollars. And I want to tell you, that's just unacceptable. And we're nowhere. Actually, if you think about it, we're less than nowhere. The Middle East is far worse than it was 16, 17 years ago. This is not even a contest. So we've spent six trillion dollars. We have a hornet's nest. It's a mess like you've never seen before. We're nowhere. So we're going to straighten it out. Okay, he doesn't have a plan for straightening it out, but really the case that he makes is that all the money spent in the Middle East should instead have been spent on infrastructure. So does that mean that he's going to actually cut the budget? No, it means he's going to raise the budget. And we'll go through his budget proposal real fast here because he's going to talk about it a little bit tonight. There are a couple of good things and there are some bad things in his budget proposal. First off, Donald Trump does raise defense spending. He raises defense spending by apparently $54 billion. The only problem with that $54 billion is it is pretty insufficient to fill the gap left by Barack Obama. So Barack Obama's plans to slash the military, the sequester that he pushed through that had 50% of the cuts coming from the military budget, that really crippled the military. $54 billion isn't enough to fix it, but obviously it's a step in the right direction. That's a very good thing. He says also that he wants to find that $54 billion by targeting waste, fraud, and abuse. This is a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing in that waste, fraud, and abuse should be targeted. He's talking about slashing the EPA's budget. He's talking about cutting the IRS's budget by 14%. That's terrific. Here's the problem. Trump is going to blow out spending. He wants to dump money into infrastructure. He wants a trillion-dollar infrastructure plan. When it was $700 million, it was bad from Barack Obama. No reason it should be better when it's a, billion, a trillion dollars from Donald Trump. 
Trump's cuts don't come close to making up the difference here. The fact is Donald Trump is talking about cutting foreign aid, and he's talking about spending much more than that in infrastructure spending. Okay, foreign aid, everybody, it's really ridiculous how little people know about America and how much money we spend. The fact is foreign aid, which Trump targets as though we're spending bajillions of dollars, trillions of dollars on foreign aid. Foreign aid is like $47 billion a year, something like that, which is a lot of money, but it isn't very much money. It's like, a, it's like 1% of the federal budget every single year. Americans think that, it per, that it's actually a huge percentage of the federal budget every year. That's a bunch of crap. It's a tiny percent of the budget. The reality is the budget is being eaten up by Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Those are the three biggest costs in the American budget. They combine for 60% of the American budget. Only 20% of the American budget is on defense. But Trump has said he doesn't want to touch those things which means deficits from now out into the future. He wants tax cuts, too. In the end, that may increase tax revenue over time, as the Laffer curve suggests. But at the very beginning, it means a, de- it means a decline in the amount of tax revenue that's taken in at least for a couple of years, which would be fine with me if we were actually cutting. But we're not cutting. We're just blowing open a hole in the budget. Trump also says that he doesn't want to touch those entitlements. He, he thinks that, uh, that's, that, that instead he's going to continue those out into the future because it's politically unpalatable. So, again, there are a bunch of problems here between Trump and the Congress that have not yet been ironed out. And everybody's pretty sanguine about this, but I don't think that that's exactly right. So here's Donald Trump yesterday talking about health care, for example. We have come up with a solution that's really, really I think very good. Now, I have to tell you, it's an unbelievably complex subject. Nobody knew that health care could be so complicated. And statutorily and for budget purposes, as you know, we have to do health care before we do the tax cut. The tax cut is going to be major. It's going to be simple. And the whole tax plan is wonderful. But I can't do it until we do health care because we have to know what the health care is going to cost. And statutorily, that's the way it is. So for those people that say, oh, gee, I wish we could do, you know, the tax first, it just doesn't work that way. I would like to do that first. It's actually tax cutting has never been that easy, but it's a tiny little ant compared to what we're talking about with Obamacare. Okay, so I don't know what he's talking about, that we can't cut taxes without looking at health care first. That's not true. We could cut taxes without looking at health care first. Um, someone's convinced him of the opposite. And the problem is health care is complicated. He keeps saying it's simple and that he's just going to fix it. But it's actually pretty complicated. And in those details is the conflict. And finally, Trump's philosophy is just not the philosophy of the Republican Congress. He keeps saying he's a nationalist in a true sense. What he means by this is that he's a big government guy. He's a big government nationalist. He's a nationalist populist. He's not in line with sort of the smaller government plans of Paul Ryan. That's a conflict that's going to break out into the open, I think, sooner rather than later. Here is Trump talking about how he's a nationalist. Because I believe in free trade. I want so much trade. You know, somebody said, oh, maybe he's a total nationalist, which I am in a true sense. But I want trade. I want great trade between countries. But the word free is very deceiving because it's good for them. It's not good for us. I want fair trade. And if we're going to be taxed, they should be taxed at the same amount, the other countries. Okay, what he's saying right now is not even close to true, economically speaking. The idea that free trade is unfair trade is ridiculous. The whole point of free trade is you have two consenting parties. How two consenting parties is unfair is beyond me. But again, this is a philosophical difference that's going to manifest. So look, maybe they bridge the gap. Maybe Donald Trump works with Paul Ryan, but 
You know, uh, Donald Trump is not somebody who's famous for working with others. He isn't. You know, everybody says the art of the deal this, the art of the deal that. Okay, the fact is that Donald Trump in his business career was famous for running roughshod over people and then stiffing them when it came time to pay the bill. Uh, the, the, this is not a guy who is, who is accustomed to making great deals for everybody where everybody walks away happy, except when it comes to licensing his brand. So the real question in his presidency is, will Donald Trump license the Trump brand to the Ryan agenda? Or, more likely, does Donald Trump actually have an agenda of his own, and Paul Ryan's going to have to deal with it? I mean, the fact is that more people on the Republican side of the aisle like Trump than like Paul Ryan. So if that's the case, then how does this actually shake down in terms of policy? And what happens if they come to an impasse and Chuck Schumer's prediction that nothing gets done is actually right? Then does, does Congress pay in 2018? Probably. By the way, it is important to mention, if Donald Trump is around 40% when it comes to 2018, then there is a, a decent shot— there's a decent shot that Republicans lose the House. He's going to have to elevate those approval ratings, which means he's going to have to get some stuff done that people like. Okay, time for some stuff I like and then some stuff I hate. So stuff I like, this week we are doing best picture that should have been, meaning that it was, it was a year where the wrong best picture nominee won. 1968, Oliver wins. Oliver's a fine movie. Oliver's a fine movie musical. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, Oliver Reed is, uh, is one of the main characters in it, and he's terrific. But it's not my favorite movie of the year. I think the best movie of the year, the one that, that stands out better, is The Lion in Winter. The Lion in Winter has an amazing cast. It's Peter O'Toole as Henry II, and it's Catherine Hepburn as Eleanor of Aquitaine, and it's Anthony Hopkins as, the, uh, as, as Richard the Lionheart. It's a, it's, it was based on a play. It's a really complex play. It's basically about how Henry II doesn't want to give up his kingdom to any of his sons, and Eleanor of Aquitaine is trying to force him to give up his kingdom to one of his sons as he's getting older. That's why it's called The Lion in Winter, right? He's getting older now. Peter O'Toole played this when he was about 40, so he's a lot too young for the part. But it's a really terrific film filled with terrific performances. The Lion in Winter, here's a little bit of the preview. <laughs> In the year 1183, Henry II, King of England, and Eleanor of Aquitaine, his wife, held Christmas court at their castle at Chinon. The occasion provided an opportunity for Henry to name his successor, to settle a dispute with the King of France, and to spend some time with his family. Come for me. Come for me! Don't fight me, Eleanor. What would you have me do? Give out, give up, give in? Give me a little peace. A little? Why so modest? How about eternal peace? Now there's a thought. Well, what do we have? The holly or each other? For these ten years you've lived with everything I've lost and loved another woman through it all. I could peel you like a pear and God himself would call it. Justice. Who do you think I built this kingdom for? Me! When can I have it, Daddy? Not until we bury you. I loved you. You're a cold and bloody bastard you are, and you don't love anything. I love your father's body. He was beautiful. It never happened. I can see his body now. Shall I describe so it's basically it? The, the, entire, the entire movie is Eleanor of Aquitaine and Henry torturing each other about who's going to inherit the kingdom. Really good movie. Um, it's uh, very literate. So check it out. The Lion in Winter rather than Oliver. Do we have that tweet from Brianna Wu? Okay, so the other thing that I like today is that there's a, a candidate who's running for Congress in Massachusetts, Democratic candidate, 
very possible she wins. And she just tweeted one of the stupidest things that has ever happened in human history. So here's what she tweeted. They're talking right now about SpaceX and how SpaceX is going to allow commercial flight to the moon, which is super cool. Okay, so... She tweeted, this is being covered as a fun hijink for rich people, but the idea of a private corporation having access to moon should give you pause. The moon is probably the most tactically valuable military ground for Earth. Rocks dropped from there have power of hundreds of nuclear bombs. Uh, what? Um, well, okay, there are a few problems with this particular treat. One, you can't just drop a rock from the moon. That's stupid. Okay, so that's the number one thing. Number two... Presumably, if you dropped a rock from the moon, it would actually have to pass through, you know, the atmosphere, at which point they burn up. Like, there's crap that falls into the atmosphere all the time, and it burns up as it passes through the atmosphere. I mean, we've had satellites do that on a regular basis. So if you actually drop a pebble from the moon, it's not going to actually destroy New York. Um, This lady, who's a crazy lady may end up in Congress, which would make Congress more interesting. So I like it. I'm, I'm a big fan of this, and I hope, that, I hope that she ends up in Congress. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So the left is really insistent. For the, the party of science that thinks you can drop rocks from the moon and they will actually destroy the Earth, that, that party of science also doesn't seem to understand that men are men and women are win- women, and they can't magically change sex. So Ben Ferguson, uh, who's a, a talk show host in the middle of the country, uh, he was on CNN with Chris Cuomo, and he was talking about this case in Texas that we talked about earlier in the week, in which this girl who is on steroids, I mean, she's on testosterone, she wrestled a bunch of other girls in, in the Texas high school wrestling championships, and she won. Because it turns out that girls on steroids are able to outcompete other girls. And this has been a problem ever since the East Germans used to drug up their women for swimming. And then they'd win all the medals, and then it would come out later that they were all drugged up. This has been a problem for a long time. Chris Cuomo, however, on CNN, who is thick as a block of wood, cannot understand why anyone would have objections to any of this. The irony is that if there were acceptance, we wouldn't have had this issue because this kid would be wrestling against boys. But just so we know, and for those as you're but, learning but, but about this But even then, issue, though, here's... Let me just sure, so people then, know. No, here's the, the thing. But hold on, Ben. Sure. Let's just clarify one thing. The science you have to be very careful about, okay? But to say that we should change the entire way that sports is done because of one person and their decision to right. do something, that is unrealistic. But the premise is flawed uh, because the logic requires you I, to I believe disagree. that trans... Of course you do. That's why we're having the discussion. Uh, that transgender doesn't count. But it does count, and that's why we're having this bigger debate about what you allow trans kinder, uh, kids to have access to and what you don't. That if you are born a boy, that you use the boy's restroom slash locker room. But what if you if identify you a girl, as a girl? You are go in. But you're, well, over- but I, you don't you're simplifying the idea of gender and sex. You're, look, we've heard you, this. This you, is you not a novel even, concept. Chris, we have the Chris, Fourth Circuit. Chris, the Fourth Circuit just Chris. said what I'm saying. Okay, and the Fourth Circuit is wrong because this is silly. Okay, the fact is this. If you're going to separate gender from sex and you're just going to say that what gender is is however you feel in your head, then there aren't two genders, right? There's no transgenders. There's not two genders. There's not 50 genders, as Facebook would have you believe. There are infinite numbers of genders, right? Because I am Ben-gendered, right? In my head, my gender is exactly what I say it is. And in your head, you have the number of genders that you say you have. The fact is that if you want to make gender so specific that it's just what's going on in your mind, then why box it into a various series of categories? Why not instead just say that you are, you know, Bob-gendered or military or Millie-gendered, right? You, 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 have your own, you have your own gender. 
The problem is once you separate off biology and gender, then you end up in this la-la land where basically we just say, okay, fine, we'll treat you as individuals with regard to your quote-unquote gender, but your sex is still the governing body. And that's the problem the left can't deal with. So instead, what they try to do is they try to create this tenuous linkage between sex and gender, even though gender is pres- is basically a made-up term. Sex is sex. End of story. You know, they- They've tried to basically say that you can have a female brain and a male body. There's no evidence of that. The the scientific studies that try and make claims about neurological density between transgender men and transgender women being similar to the sex they claim membership to, those studies are very, very small in sample size. They typically survey like seven or eight people who are transgender. They're self-selected, so you don't actually have a good basis for comparison. Really, what you'd want to do is sample a thousand women and then see if all the, the women who had the most neurological density in certain parts of their brain were all those women transgender. If the answer is yes, then maybe you have something. If the answer is no, then there's no correlation even. So these studies are really poorly done. They don't hold up under scrutiny. The fact is this. We just don't know that much about how the human brain works. And I would assume that if you are transgender and if you have some sort of mental disorder, that there is a biological basis for the mental disorder. Nobody's claiming that it's you're, you're faking it or that you're choosing to be this thing. But that doesn't change the fact that your, your sex is your sex and your sex is chromosomally determined. It is biologically determined. Chris Cuomo pretending he doesn't understand that. Maybe he doesn't understand it. Maybe he's just that dumb. Other things in which the, the left is, is claiming uh, that, they are, that they know science, but they apparently don't. Bernie Sanders and Bill Nye, two old men screaming at the clouds, uh, were talking about global warming, and, uh, and it went like this. What are the short and long-term implications of uh, a president who has that view? So bef- let me say that the long-term implications are potentially catastrophic. And everybody... You can hate me, you can hate everything, I understand that, but the problem is the speed at which the world is warming and the climate is changing. It's not that the climate is changing, it's the rate. Half the people in the world live near coastlines. As the ocean gets a tiny bit warmer, it gets a tiny bit bigger, but the ocean is big and a tiny bit is huge. So uh, it is to be hoped that we can head this off. Okay, so you've got these two old guys who can't explain science. So, So... Bill Nye was on with Tucker Carlson last night about this, and Tucker Carlson basically grilled him on, can you get specific about what exactly is causing global warming, what is making global warming happen? And Bill Nye really was not very specific about it. Now, I'm not somebody who believes that man-made causes have nothing to do with the climate. Because the greenhouse gas effect is actually a real thing. It's been proven in laboratories. The question is, what level of human activity is causing what level of temperature change? And that is really unclear. Every computer model ever done has been wildly inaccurate the further out you get, which actually is is kind of strange because the fact is that weathermen are very good at predicting what's going to happen today, and they should be really good at what's going to happen in 10 years because you can predict trends. But the trends have not the trend lines have not been exactly correct there's also a good amount of evidence that suggests that solar activity has something to do with the temperature fluctuations on planet earth and of course there have been cases of global warming and global cooling long before man had any impact on the environment whatsoever bottom line is that even people who say that there's tremendous global warming happening because of man, they can't come up with a solution that would actually mitigate the global warming warming that's happening without sending us back to pre-industrial era technologies 
Or perhaps we should just wait a few decades and then we'll get rid of a lot of the fossil fuels upon which we're reliant. I mean, the fact is the Tesla is doing it right now. There's no reason to think that that sort of energy isn't going to get cheaper over time. But to rip on carbon-based energy as though it hasn't had any good impact for humanity and as though it is solely responsible for temperature fluctuation and as though you can alleviate all of this by getting rid of carbon-based energy, no, that's just silly altogether. Okay, final thing that I hate. The New York Times uh, ran an ad during the Oscars, and here's what this ad looked like. The truth is our nation is more divided than ever. The truth is alternative facts are just plain delusional. The media needs to be held accountable. The truth is locker room talk is harmless. The truth is we need to put the safety of the American people. The truth is we need a full investigation of any time. The truth is hard to find, to know, is more important now than ever. The New York Times. Okay, so the idea is that there's all this chatter and the New York Times is going to cut through it. Except for the fact that the New York Times, in many cases, really doesn't cut through it. The New York Times has its own biases. The New York Times has its own priorities. And when the New York Times says the truth is more important now than ever, why? Why is it more important now than ever? Why wasn't it important like, hmm, two years ago? Why wasn't it important when Barack Obama was president of the United States? The, the media's newfound enthusiasm for the truth, I'm happy with it. But it would be nice if they had stuck with it instead of ditching it for the past eight years. That would have been good. Okay, we'll do a brief deconstructing the culture. One of the, one of the um, songs that is now in the top 40 uh, is a, a hip-hop song called Caroline. Uh, and uh, it's from a group called Anime. Amine? I guess Amine and Pasque. Mm. Okay, so here is, uh, here is this brilliant piece of music uh, from, from Caroline. Listen, man. What's up? I heard you done got you a dime. Peace, man. Hell nah, man. One of them Beyonce nah, making nah, good nah. types, man. Nah, nah, nah. Is that true, man? I just want to know. Probably not. I mean, to be honest with you, man, she's a bad thing. Finding hell. Think it's oh my god. That's my baby. Caroline, you divine. Mighty fine. Started really blow the pie. That's true. Like a pro. <laughs> you thought. Holy I'm a set of geniuses straight out of Amgen's research room. They're curing cancer in their off hours. Oh my goodness. Okay, so if you can't understand what they're saying, that's because they're not speaking in anything that remotely resembles English. Uh, this is... Like, I'm sorry. I can't... You cannot do this without a translator. And that's not an insult to black folks because race has nothing to do with the fact that this is not English. Okay, there are lots of white folks who talk in in this way also when they're doing rap, and it doesn't sound like English. Here's what they're saying. Bad thing, fine as hell, thick as F. Oh my God, that's my baby. Caroline, you divine. Mighty fine. Shawty really blow the pipe. That's true, like a pro. Aha, F you thought? Holy bleep, I'm really lit. It's looking like it's about time to F it up. Caroline, listen up, don't want to hear about your horoscope or what the future holds. Shut up and shut up, and let's get gory like a Tarantino movie. By the way, nothing nothing is is says sexy proposition quite like let's get gory like a Tarantino film. I know that's what I hit my wife up with. I say, honey, you're looking quite attractive tonight. Let's get gory like a Tarantino film. 
You're, I'm really in an inglorious bastard's mood tonight. Okay, no, no. Okay, here's the problem. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff here that says, like, if you want safe sex, baby, use the knee pads. Freaky with the sticky icky. Baby, give me kitty kitty. Okay, so I have a question. The left is super duper upset with rape culture. The left is super duper upset with objectification of women. This for, this kind of music is all objectification of women. It is all rape culture. It is all about how women are nothing but sexual objects. And the the kind of tying together of sex and violence, let's get gory like a Tarantino movie. You wonder why there are so many guys getting aggressive you know, with women, maybe some of it has to do with the fact that the culture is suffused with stuff like this. This is not a call for regulation of this kind of music, obviously, but it is a call for a restoration of a culture that actually cares about women, sees women as something more than sex objects, and doesn't see sex itself as some sort of violent activity in which one party demonstrates mastery over the other. I know that this is considered bourgeois to say now, but how about the idea of honor? How about the idea of dignity for women? I understand the feminist movement has said that men are not allowed to honor or treat women with dignity. But it seems to me that if you want to ensure women's safety, if you want to ensure that women have better lives, then maybe we ought to encourage a culture that doesn't encourage this sort of stuff. And again, because blacks outweigh women in the intersectional hierarchy, no one's allowed to talk about how so much rap music is really sexist and awful to women. You're not allowed to talk about it because if you do so, you're only coming from a place of white privilege. And that's really awful because, I mean, this, this song particularly does not seem to me like a boon for women. I will point out that not all music in the pop culture sphere is like this. Uh, this is an older song by what's called the Randy Rogers Band. This is like Texas country music. This is a different lyric, okay? It's one woman by the Randy Rogers Band. Okay? The lyrics, the lyrics are... I don't need empty love words coming from somebody that'll never love me like you do. I don't need to feel a warm touch from somebody else because no other touch could be this true. They can't reach me because I'm tied to one woman, you for me. I know that you're all I'll ever need, forever beside you, spending my life loving one woman. He says, well, back when I was selfish, I thought I needed more, but that road led me nowhere, and I closed that door, and now I love for one woman, you for me. That's all, you'll, you're all I ever need, forever beside you, spending my life loving one woman. That seems to me like a better model. That seems like a better model than um, Caroline from Amine, Mene, Mene, and See an Enemy. It seems like a, a, better, a better way of life and a better culture. But I guess that, that makes me some sort of bigot, because I think that certain cultures that actually promote, I don't know, monogamy and truth to one woman are better than cultures that promote calling women thick as F and then talking about treating them like a Tarantino film. Okay, so... We will be back tomorrow and we will analyze President Trump's speech before a joint session of Congress. I'm sure he's going to have a lot to say and we'll be there to cover it all. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.